0: Hi, and welcome to Rambling About Greek Mythology, a lax podcast where I just talk about a lot of Greek mythology. Today's episode will be us revisiting Apollo uh, to talk about who this god is, what his origin stories are, and some major and minor events he was involved in. So let's dive in. Who is Apollo? Apollo is a lot of things. Perhaps he's one of the more complicated gods in Greco-Roman myth, because he doesn't really have an extremely primary attribute or specialty, so to speak. His association with prophecy is really strong. He has a famous precinct and famous precincts at places like Delphi, Delos, and Claros. but that isn't like the only thing he's super famous for. He has a strong association with music. We'll talk about a story later that will reinforce this, too, actually. Uh, He also has an association with light and radiance and in later authors is often conflated with Helios and kind of succeeds him in being the main god associated with the sun. The list goes on for archery, medicine, healing, like sending plagues, flock tending, and so on and so forth. The associated symbols with him are mainly two birds, the swan and the raven, uh, the latter of which will also show up in a story. His origins as a god are pretty unclear. Uh, old ancient Greek texts written in Linear B don't seem to show his name. Linear B is the like predecessor language to ancient Greek, so to speak. Not entirely the most accurate, I think, but just kind of conveys the general idea of uh, the people and the languages they were using and the associated stories that got passed down. But I don't think that is linguistically accurate completely don't quote me i don't remember so he seems to also be considered eastern in origin perhaps lydian since his mom whose name is leto uh that name is like thought to be lydian or potentially he's from the hittites Uh, it's unclear because there's some thought that like the reason he's depicted so strongly strongly on the Trojan side is actually in line with that sort of origin idea, and that most gods in the Trojan War who leaned on the Trojan side tended to have Eastern origins. So that's kind of the logic, and there are some ideas of, oh, his name looks like this one Hittite god's name, so potentially that's his inspiration. But yeah, that's just kind of more like a general background to him. So let's talk about you know his actual origin story in Greco-Roman myth and what it goes on. So his birth story is kind of a cool and fun one. If you ignore the fact that his mom was being persecuted by Hera for having children by Zeus, then it's a pretty interesting story. I guess it's still interesting, but not as absurd. So his mom Leto is being prevented from giving birth by Hera, uh, as like all the lands fear that by allowing her to give birth, Hera will smite them or something. In some cases, the decree was more like no land under the sun should permit Leto to give birth. She eventually comes to the floating island of Delos. Delos, uh, we'll do a little backstory here before we keep going, is perhaps originally known as Ortigia, which served as a reminder of how her sister, Asteria, was turned into a quail. The Greek word for quail is ortux or ortix, so that's where Ortigia is coming from. In theory, maybe her sister is the island of Delos. So Delos, once she comes to the island, actually gets anchors itself to four pillars, uh, which I think is just a cool little tidbit of, like, that's what happened when she came to the island. So generally, the story goes, she held onto a palm tree for nine days in labor, until finally Iris, the rainbow messenger goddess who's generally associated with Hera, bribed Elethuia, the minor goddess of childbirth, to come help her give birth and the way she bribed her is by offering a 13-foot-long golden necklace. Now, how that's a practical necklace for anyone to use, don't ask me, but seemingly it worked out. So, this is usually the version of how Leto's birth was ensured. In some other versions, Zeus had actually gotten Poseidon to cover the island in water to allow no light through, and thus she would not be bearing kids on a land that was under the sun very uh fun kind of thing though now you wonder how light's not getting through and scientifically it's like oh but you know we'll say some way of bending the light prevented it from ever touching the land how don't ask either way uh apollo on delos was born under mount kynthus after his sister artemis so usually he's the younger of the twins and since then delos is a sacred island to him And this birth location of under Mount Kynthus is why he is sometimes known as like Scythian or Kynthian Apollo, supposed to point back to his origins. So according to his longer Homeric hymn, uh, once Apollo was born, he was given to Themis to be nursed. And when she fed him nectar and ambrosia, he sprung up as a young man and declared that the lyre, the curved bow, and prophecy would be his three domains. The reason why, so this may sound like these are like, you know, the main things and everything else is kind of secondary, but it's a little bit of a mix. This uh, Homeric hymns are not actually texts that are like the most ancient version and representations of uh, Greek thought and literature. They were written generally a fair bit later than Homer himself. That's so what we can kind of tell about them. And it seems to be they're trying to like imitate Homer and do certain things so this isn't necessarily like a, oh, this is the proof that the lyre, the bow, and prophecy are his three main things. But I do think that generally speaking, that's, those are pretty big identifiers about him. Uh, but it really kind of comes up to debate a bit about what you choose to identify more properly with him and whatnot. So yeah, this story of his origin, that little bit on the Homeric hymn, tries to capture the background of Apollo and Greco-Roman myth. Um, but we can now dive into some fun stories about him to see what sort of god he is and what he I originally thought about using the word achieved and then I was like "Uh, some of these stories are kind of cursed so we'll just say what he did so the first major story we're going to talk about is the founding of his oracle at Delphi this is actually a pretty long one all things considered but it's a pretty preeminent oracular location in Greek mythology so I think it's pretty important we talk about it So in some versions, actually, it was an oracular location run by like Gaia, the like ancient Greek mother goddess Poseidon and then Themis uh, before it was handed over to Apollo. That's one version of the story, but we'll go about a more standardized story. So a little more background on Delos. It's actually considered the center of the world in Greek myth. So there was a story that Zeus released two eagles from the opposite ends of the world. So in this case the earth is flat, so they knew what's up. Uh and the eagles end up crossing at Delos and where they crossed was placed the omphalos. It's a stone who in like the Greek word means navel, so it's like the idea of like the navel of the earth is that stone. Uh and sometimes that stone was said to be the one that Rhea fed Kronos in place of Zeus. So it'd be like pretty cool, you know, if you can go see that as like a random Greek because that was a thing and it's been identified or perhaps all these writers are lying when they say they have seen it. That'd be pretty cool uh, to see something like that. Like, you know, now you wonder what part of it is real and what part of it is some fantasy version of an actual event that took place. I think that's really cool to think about. Anyway, back to Delphi and its founding. So Apollo was trying to figure out where to establish his oracle. Pretty big deal since he said prophecy is going to be a main thing for him. So he first stops at this city called Haliartus in the region of Boeotia, But a local spring nymph named Telfusa was like, nah, you shouldn't make it here. I mean, consider all the things. like People keep bringing their horses here and have their animals drink by water, and it would be really noisy, and you wouldn't want to do it here. And Apollo's like, great point. Yeah. So... In reality, Tophisa just didn't want to share the space. It's perfectly fine. She's a local spring nymph. She wants to get those honors and rights. And, you know, if Apollo, a major god, comes in, she kind of loses all of that. So she instead suggests building under this mountain called Parnassus in the region of Chrysa, which is where Delphi is located. When he came to Delphi, he found this guardian, guardian spirit, spirit deity monster called Python, which he slayed. Python's this massive snake or serpent. And then he established his temple and his oracle. So the name of the city of like Pytho or Putho in this region and the Pythia being the name of the oracle and the name of the monster being Python is all related to the carcass of the body of the monster rotting. So like, I guess P like Puth is like a Greek root related to rotting. And that was the idea of how they gave the names to all these things. And then the Pythia is obviously just a reminder and a derivation from the great monster being slain Uh, because sometimes there's an association that the python may actually be like an oracular spirit guardian deity thing. So that's the idea. So the final bit of this great establishment of his oracle at Delphi is he needs people to work his temple, right? Uh, you can't just make one and then hope that people don't do anything and maintain it, I guess. You need to like establish some people involved. So he notices nearby that there were some Cretans on a ship going somewhere, and he's like, hmm, maybe I'll use them. So he turns into a dolphin very naturally, shows up on their ship. They're like, what is possibly going on? Can we just toss the dolphin off the ship? Then he reveals himself and brings them to Delphi, and they end up being like the people who work his place. So this is a pretty big Story overall, and a lot of information you kind of have to take in. But I think it's a really important site, and I think it's a fun set of events. Uh, a lot of interesting characters we get to see uh, that I think it's worth including everything. One side note sometimes it's said that after he established stuff at Delphi, he like realized what was going on with Telfusa and came back and dried up her spring. So don't cross Apollo, depending on your version. Uh, the next kind of like minor story, it's still like a pretty notable story, but just minor because there isn't too much to it. Doesn't explain too many things. Is the story about a young Spartan youth from Amyclae named Hyacinthus. So Hyacinthus' story is pretty straightforward, um, but it seems to there seems to be a small trend with Apollo and young men he likes dying. So one day, Apollo and Hyacinthus were hanging out and throwing a discus. Apollo had Hyacinthus go retrieve one of his throws, and little did Apollo know when he threw it, the jealous god of the west wind, Zephyrus, had caused it to fly back and completely one-shot Hyacinthus. The boy was dead, Apollo was sad, and he caused a flower to come from his blood that was called the Hyacinth. So Apollo and love interest, um ends pretty poorly, very consistently, but it's just like a neat little story of like, oh, this is how the Hyacinth came about. And hopefully you could tell because the name. The next kind of bigger story is about the liar. So Hermes, the story is generally more focused on Hermes stealing Apollo's cattle. Um, so we're just going to talk about the conclusion. So Apollo finds out that Hermes stole the cattle and proves that he was the thief and is pretty angry and wants to know what Zeus would do. But just then and there, uh, Hermes makes this lyre out of a tortoise shell and it's seven strings out of sheep guts. And Apollo hears the music and is so moved that he asked for it. And then all was well. That's kind of how they resolve the situation is he gets a musical instrument out of it. Who cares that he stole some cattle? Uh, but the lyre is a pretty critical thing to Apollo's image, as you know, being associated with music and stuff. So it's like very funny how kind of sidelined the invention of the liar is and how it's just kind of like a thing that happens and then apollo ends up with it and that's just now the biggest thing associated with him uh, like object wise so let's talk about a time apollo used the liar so remember gods are not nice or good individuals they are extremely narcissistic and hate being proved wrong though to some degree that's also a result of like greek stories constantly trying to show you what being overconfident that is. Having hubris does to you, so take it with a grain of salt. I guess to completely represent the gods badly, but I really do not think they're good people in any way, shape, or form. So there is the satyr named Marsyas, who recently picked up the aulos or double pipes, which Athena had thrown away. She threw them away because. She would blow in and it would make her cheeks puff, and gods were making fun of her because of how silly she looked. So she's like, Nah, screw this, and tossed it. So Marcius picks it up and is like, Let's go. I can play some music. So he challenges Apollo to a music contest. Take note, never do this. The muses were the judges, and for a majority of the contest, actually deemed they were playing equally, in some versions, even better. It was a Marcius playing than Apollo. So then Apollo asked Marcius to play his instrument upside down. Apollo can play the lyre upside down because besides being a god, he's able to add his own voice. But you can't play the Aulos or like double pipes upside down. That's not really how that works physically. So Marcius lost. And unfortunately, Marcius had agreed to beforehand that the winner could do anything with the loser. So Apollo flayed marcius which means he skinned him and he did it while he was alive uh pretty horrifying image but a nice mm, nice maybe a grotesque example of just what sort of god apollo was like most others the next big story uh continuing on back with that hyacinthus uh kind of vibe is the idea of like his horrible record with love and with women women are really really not into apollo uh they have often chosen others over him. Some even run away, like the character we're going to talk about, and it's justified. Some of the reasoning that people provide is like, uh "Oh, actually, I don't want to spoil this. I don't spoil this. I'll mention it when I get there to our final story." Uh, just completely slipped my mind that I'd mention it then. So, Paul's horrible record with women. Daphne is the name of our. uh main character she was a huntress daughter of the river god peneus and follower of his sister artemis according to ovid the story goes as follows after making fun of cupid for holding a bone arrow like apollo's like oh leave it to the men cupid you're not manly uh cupid used his gold arrow to strike apollo and his lead arrow to strike daphne what this does is is when you're hit with a gold arrow of cupid the person you see you'll fall super madly in love with The lead arrow makes the next person you see be like the most disgusting, abhorrent human on the planet, and you never want to have anything to do with them. So Apollo ends up madly in love with Daphne. Daphne ends up madly not in love with Apollo. And Apollo chases Daphne, and she like flees with all her might. She ends up coming to the river Peneus and prays to be transformed, and then gets turned into the laurel tree. The laurel tree has pretty notable association with apollo or at least not notable but a relatively decently common like association between him and the laurel tree now the story is really weird because paul's like oh i'll like use the leaves from your tree to make like the wreath to celebrate my victory i had here and it's like apollo causing a woman to transform into a tree because she was fleeing you is not a w man that's just a major l but gods are weird apollo's really weird and only just only loses constantly so I guess I guess this is all he could find is a win. He's a weird guy. It's a weird story. It's Greek myth. The final story we're going to talk about is about a bird and the birth of Asclepius, the god of medicine. So Apollo slept with this woman named Coronis and got her pregnant. She recognized that he would not grow old with her, a common line of reasoning for why women would also not be into... Uh, deities, because they're going to eventually abandon them, because they're eventually going to grow old, and then the deity would be like, oh my god, old women. So she was more interested in marrying a mortal. The mortal she was interested in marrying was this guy named Iscus. He's the son of this random dude named Elatus. It's frankly surprising. Like, I want to just pause for a moment here. It's frankly surprising she wasn't murdered for being pregnant. But we like take those because this is a very common trend: is that women will get like impregnated by a god uh, after usually being raped and then they'll get punished for it and then they'll like hide birth the child in a random forest and abandon them or do something or get killed or something like that so it's pretty surprising she doesn't get killed here back to the story so one time Coronis was sleeping with Escus, so they're getting it on and a bird, sometimes the raven, sometimes the crow, saw her sleeping with Iscus and reported it to Apollo. And Apollo got so angry, he changed the... So this is the reason for the color of the crow slash raven, is that uh, it was originally white and he turned it to black out of anger. And then he kills Coronis by either shooting her with an arrow or having Artemis kill her. Then he, or Hermes, saves the baby from the body that was burning on the pyre. The baby that comes out of the story is Asclepius. Asclepius is the god of medicine and once more is a specialized form of his parent. So we can see that this is a story where, again, we see Big God, a lot of different things he encompasses, has a kid who encompasses a much more specific version of like the various things he reigns over. And Asclepius has some like cool stories where he ends up like reviving someone and getting punished for it. So we can once again kind of see beyond this, you know, separate narrative I was talking about of just like, oh, yeah, look, specialization that occurs through having children and then kind of passing on certain roles to them. We can also sort of see how Apollo acts with people and the sort of nature he's involved in where like he's using like an arrow to kill. And sometimes uh, it's more figuratively used that like he shot an arrow into a camp and what he's really doing is sending a plague onto them. So you can kind of see that here, right? The archery is involved the medicinal aspects involved with how his who his son ends up becoming and stuff like that. So I think it's really interesting while obviously horrifying uh to reflect kind of on who Apollo is. And yeah, I think these stories capture the various aspects of Apollo in the fields he dabbled in besides like radiance and sun. I don't think that really comes up much, but I don't really mind that too much. It's not like a critical aspect of his Uh, But it's also just the sort of god he was and what he's known for in Greek myth, right? So these are the stories that come up often and uh, what is related about Apollo and his times with mortals. So he's not a great guy, but his connection to the fields of prophecy, music, medicine, archery all really stand out within these sets of stories that I would say are pretty major and pretty connected to him. So, yeah, uh, with that, I mean that's like everything on Apollo. It's a little shorter than the Aphrodite episode just because I don't think there's as much analysis to be had on Apollo. I think he's pretty straightforward. his domains are pretty consistently involved. it would really only like warrant something on more of a discussion of how Eastern he kind of comes off as due to what his roles are in things like the Trojan War, but. That's not exactly a focus I have, nor do I think it's the most important thing to talk about. So, with that, next episode, we'll be focusing on Ares once more, talking about who he is, what his origins are, and some stories he's involved in so we can understand the Greek god of war, which I actually think is really interesting because he is represented in a really fascinating way for being the Greek god of war. As always, please let me know if you have any comments, questions, or concerns. You can email me. I'm going to switch it from my personal email I used to put to ragm1928 at gmail.com. So this is like randomly Our Mythology um, shortened or made as an acronym. Uh, I'm more than willing to answer any questions, comments, or concerns you have. Uh, And yeah, with that, thanks so much for listening, and I hope to see you next time. Take care.